my name is Peter McMillan and welcome to another episode of Sharing the Couch with MT Shelter. Today we've got this Dr Chris Martin joining us. Chris is a Senior Research Fellow in the City Futures Research Centre at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. He's an expert in rental housing with special expertise in tenancy law, social housing, marginal tenures, affordable housing policy and the intersection of housing, government and social control. He has qualifications in economics, law and criminology. Chris's research interests cover a wide range of areas within housing, including tenancy law, the private rental market and related institutions, social housing, lodging and boarding houses, residential parks and land lease communities, housing investment and finance, housing policy and intergovernmental relations, history of housing policy, international comparative housing studies and intersections between housing and criminal justice. Chris has led and participated in numerous inquiries and research projects for the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute, or AHURI, the Australian Research Council and other research funders. Recent research for AHURI that Chris undertook includes the project Exiting Prison with Complex Needs, the role of housing assistance in 2021. He's currently leading another AHURI project towards an Australian housing and homelessness strategy, understanding national approaches in contemporary policy. Prior to joining City Futures in 2015, Chris was a senior policy officer of the Tenants Union in New South Wales and is the author of the Tenants' Rights Manual, fourth edition, the leading text on tenancy law and policy for tenants and community workers in New South Wales. He's also a past chair of Shelter New South Wales. Chris, we're broadcasting today from Larrakia land here in, in Darwin. I'd also like just to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and to any other Aboriginal persons who may be watching on or listening to this podcast. Uh, welcome to you. I think you're down in Sydney. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm joining you today from Darawal country, um, just south of Sydney. So my respect to the Darawal, respect to Larrakia and all the First Nations uh, in between. <laughs> Absolutely, that's quite a few of them, isn't there? Um, and Chris, you studied economics with a focus on social studies and, and law at Sydney Uni. Uh, what was it about those uh, those fields of study that interested you when you were leaving high school and you were thinking about going to, to university? No doubt. What was it about those areas that, that was appealing? Good question. Um, uh, I, I think uh, both law and uh and the, the economics I did, I, I studied political economy, which is a um, particular course at Sydney Uni. Uh, and and they, these are more um, heterodox or non-mainstream um, uh, economic theories, economic approaches. Um, and uh, I think those, those courses of study are, are great general backgrounds that can prepare a person for work in any number of areas, whether that's government or community sector, like where I went, uh, and, and, and then academia as, as well, where I've ended up. Yeah. And what was it about, this, I guess, um, the um, non-government sector or the social policy sector that, that drew you? Presumably you went to the Tenants Union New South Wales fairly soon afterwards, or did you have a number yeah. of steps in between? Uh, so my, my first proper job after graduating law school uh, was uh, as a tenant advocate at, a, at Southern Sydney Tenants Advice and Advocacy Service that's um, uh, located in, in Campsie in, um, in the uh, southwest um, suburbs of Sydney. Uh, quite a diverse uh, 
community and um, and fair to say a, a socio-economically disadvantaged community as well. Uh, we had lots of uh, lots of renters having lots of problems with, with landlords and my role there was as a tenant advocate. So I was on the phone uh, taking people's calls and uh, representing them in in negotiations with their landlords and also in 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 tribunal proceedings. So I represent tenants in, in tribunal proceedings. Um, I did that for a few years. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased I did that work and, uh, and, and I'm full of admiration for the tenant advocates who, um, who, who do it even longer than I did and who, who do that work. We've got a, um, a, a really remarkable network of local tenants advice and advocacy services in New South Wales. Uh, Within that network is a, a, a network of um, Aboriginal tenants advice and advocacy services as well, particularly for, for, for Indigenous uh, renters. Uh, most, most Aboriginal households rent their housing uh, and, and most of them, most Aboriginal renters rent from private landlords. Uh, so uh, that, that's, a, that's a great network of services for tenants who do... Uh, uh, you know, really terrific work uh, in in housing justice. So, from after a couple of years there and um, seeing housing tenancy justice issues um, directly firsthand, I then went to Tenants Union of New South Wales. I did their policy and law reform work for thirteen years. So, I was involved in making submissions to government on changing tenancy law to advance the the, the rights and interests of tenants um, and uh, submissions to, to government also on the way social housing operates and, and the management of social housing tenancies. Um, and it was, it was while I was there that I also did my PhD and then subsequently uh, was able to um, move into a um, similar area at, at Uni of New South Wales where I'm doing rental housing research and um, still, I hope, making a contribution to uh, to, to advancing housing justice. Chris, it's really interesting, you know, because we've had a number of people on this program who said, you know, they left school, they went to do science or agriculture or one was archaeology and then they discovered they didn't like mucking around in dirt and stuff. And it seems to me, like, from what you said, you made a pretty good choice when you leave university and and you because you're still in that field and you still got a lot of interest in that area. Would that be fair to say? You kind of landed on your feet. Yeah. That's yeah, a good, good choice. You knew, you knew what you wanted to do, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I remember, well, I, um, let's see, I, I grew up in a, um, in Kiama. It's a small town south of, on, uh, south of Sydney. Um, and uh, uh, always comfortably housed with my parents there. Uh, Coming to Sydney, I, um, you know, like so many other people, I had to find shared housing, shared rental housing, um, and had a few scrapes with bad real estate agents and bad landlords along the way. Um, that's the sort of, I mean, I'm conscious that I came from a position where you know I had supportive family and, and backup with those, those, those. Uh, negotiating housing a, a, as a young person, um, and not everyone does. And although I and lots of people would, would now talk about, you know, the, the, the shared housing experience or, or, or your first 
first experience in rental housing, moving out of home in, um, you know, dinner party conversations or war stories. I'm conscious that for a lot of people, it, it, that could make the difference between them uh, you know, not being able to find housing or not having affordable housing may be the difference between them doing the course or not, or um, uh, dropping out of a course or you know, not doing as well as they could have. And it, and it could make a, a big difference in, in, in the way you, you set yourself up for the rest of your life. So I was, as I went through uni, I was interested in housing and how it works and especially how rental housing so often doesn't work for people. Um, and uh, thinking about how to make it better. And yeah, then as a person interested in housing, I, I um, got into tenancy advice and then tenancy law and policy and, and, and there research. There you go. Fantastic. And you're still enjoying it by the looks of things. Still got uh, got a lot of different areas of interest and we'll explore still a couple a lot of those. Still a lot to do, yeah. Still a lot to do. We'll talk, talk about a couple of those things in a moment. I'm just wondering if now is the time because uh, I'm always learning things on this uh, program, but I, I grew up in, in uh, the Shell Harbour area, so I know quite well. All right, well. there My we go. Still live down there, so it's a great part of the world. Um, so, Chris, today I think I'd like to talk a bit about renting and, and the work you've done there, and, and a bit about the current situation around uh, renting in Australia. Um, I mentioned in the introduction that you co-authored a book that's widely regarded in New South Wales around tenants, tenancy legislation and tenants' rights. Just before we go on to that, um, I know that comparative housing studies is also something that's particularly of interest to you. Have you had the opportunity to learn some interesting things around our housing system based on what other countries have been doing? Can we learn yeah. from the lessons, I guess, um, from, from overseas? Yeah, that's a... Um... I think there's there is lots to learn, and I'm I'm also conscious that it's it's a we we do when when we're talking about housing in Australia we often make comparisons overseas, and uh, sometimes those um, sometimes those comparisons aren't always really well grounded in reality. So um, the, for example, the the one that comes to mind is the idea that in Europe everyone rents. Um, uh, that used to be, might have used to be the case, and it is still the case that um, particular sorts of households and, and in particular cities that there are a lot of people who, who rent compared to, to owner occupation. But uh, throughout throughout Europe, um, there are plenty of European countries that have a higher home ownership rate than Australia does. Um, Australia, by international standards, Australia's home ownership rate is not remarkably high. Um, it it used to be. Um, we really had our peak home ownership um, rate 50 years ago, and it's been gradually declining ever since. So um, we, in terms of rental housing, we, Australia does have quite a quite a big uh, rental sector. Has quite a big private rental sector. Mm. Um, uh, it's um, we we have very little social housing. And our um, one of the things that really stands, one of the things that does make us different, um, it's not the home ownership rate. It's one of the things that really makes us different, I think, is the extent to which our rental housing system is integrated with our owner occupation system. And by that, I mean, we do have, rental properties that cross over into owner occupation a lot and owner 
owner-occupied properties that leave the sector and go into rental for a time. So that those that integration of, of properties going in and out of rental uh, from other parts of the housing system, um, that's something that is, uh, a, by international comparison, a, a, a bit unusual about Australia. It's something that happens a lot here. So we don't have... We don't have a stock of housing that stays rental for a long time. Um, there's some good things about that and bad things about that. Some It can mean that as properties go into owner-occupied for a spell, they might get some repairs done um, because they're more likely to be get maintained by, by owners rather than by landlords. Um, but it also means that we've got a real challenge, like a structural challenge about security of rental. Um, so many of our every year so many rental properties just leave uh, leave the rental sector for other parts whether it's owner occupied increasingly it's tourism uh, through Airbnb and that that, that sort of thing um, so our our rental sector um, fairly large as it is 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 always changing it's really dynamic and uh, landlords are constantly, coming into it and properties yeah. are co constantly coming in they're also constantly going out um and that's a that's a real structural challenge so there's a fair bit of churn i know you've also spoken on abc national uh, with leo patterson ross from the tenants union of new south wales around um rent to rent to buy as well and some of the, the smaller part of the market but it's another aspect of that churn that we get in terms of changes of ownership um, and tenure, I guess, uh, potentially in terms of tenancy and leading home ownership or, yeah, as you said, um, uh, lease arrangements where the landlord might want to resume, um, uh, I guess, living in that house at a period of time for, for, for their needs. So there is a lot of churn, as you say. Just one thing I wanted to explore with you around the notion of um, renting and, and, and in terms of your work at the Tenants Union of New South Wales, the notion, when I came into the sector, the notion of having a tenants union from a person uh, in my situation who had worked in industrial relations with unions a lot, it, it kind of evoked images of needing to have a bit of a struggle or it being difficult to have to fight for tenants' rights over time. Has that been your, ex your experience or understanding of history that in terms of the rights that tenants have and the, not just the obligations but the rights, um, is that something that tenants have typically had to fight for in Australia through collective organisation, maybe through some activism? Yeah, that that is part of the history of, of tenancy law reform in Australia. So um, our the the Australian model of tenancy law, um, and we can generalise here. It's states and territories all have their own residential tenancies act. They're all called something like residential tenancies act. Um, it's on a broadly common model. Um, there's lots of differences in the details um, and. Some jurisdictions do things better than others. Uh, there's, but it, it's a broadly common model of um, sort of mild consumer protection style uh, legislation. That is the standard forms of tenancy agreement, standard notice periods, um, uh, standard uh, prescribed terms, that sort of thing. Um, market rents is is another common part of the model, mm -hmm. and also fairly ready but orderly termination of tenancies. So landlords can get their properties back fairly easily uh, across Australia. Um, and that's the, that's broadly the common model. And we've had that um, 
the outlines of that model were first out uh, first put out by um, uh, the 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 Commission of Inquiry into poverty in Australia in, in the mid 1970s. So the outlines of that um, that model have been around for almost 50 years. It took 20 something years for each uh, state and territory government to finally implement the model in, in legislation themselves, but that's, that's what we've got across the country. And tenant organisations uh, were part of that process of informing the, the, the Commission of Inquiry um, and, and the, the sort of law reform model that it put forward. Um, what it put forward would have been, was a little stronger on tenant protection than what all of the states and territories ended up doing, um, but it was, it was still an advance on what the law was before that, which was a real complex patchwork of old property law doctrines and a little bit of um, rent control and a, lo a lot of complicated decontrolling of rent control. So the law was a mess. Uh, that, that, that fairly light consumer protection, ready but orderly termination model that, 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 that uh, succeeded it was an improvement, but it still needs further to go. And um, it's tenant, I guess tenant organisations have changed over that time as well, because um, so for example, Tenants Union of New South Wales uh, now um, is, is a community legal centre. I know that the Darwin Community Legal Centre is a, in a similar, a similar organisation in that respect. They get some funding by government to, to provide services to people, legal services to people. Tenants Union of New South Wales also uh, has another uh, funding program to, to help administer, uh, help coordinate that network of uh, local tenants advice services I, I mentioned at the beginning. So doing training for them. So the focus of tenant organisations has changed over the years. It's um, they still do have a law reform and campaigning function uh, that I was involved in, but they, they're doing a lot more uh, service provision, legal advice and legal service provision to, to renters throughout their jurisdictions. Do you think if renters came to Australia, do you think if people came to Australia through immigration, for example, or, or, as, or as international students coming to Australia, they, they'd be surprised by, I guess, the power uh, or the relative power in the tenant landlord relationship? Do you think... A lot of people say that we haven't got that balance, right? And I know advocates have talked for a long time in the context of reform that needs to be a fairer balance struck. We certainly want to see that here in the Northern Territory. But do you think um, there is that kind of, do you think people coming in uh, uh, into Australia might think, well, compared to what I'm used to back in our own country, we really don't have the level of protections around, around evictions or notice periods or around increases or repairs and maintenance, whatever it might be. Do you, do you, do you sense there is that imbalance here in, in Australia? Yeah, might... yeah. Yeah, I mean, by international comparisons, the way we regulate tenancies is, is pretty light on. And um, and in particular, the the uh, the lack of security, legal security that tenants have is um, is a notable problem in Australian legislation. Also, um, the the lightness of regulation around rent increases is also something that is um, out of step with. Um, with other jurisdictions around the world. I mean, 
there are rent control, rent control and rent regulation uh, is done in all sorts of different ways in different countries and in different cities um, uh, throughout the world. Um, our, we, we, we don't really regulate rents for affordability uh, in any in any Australian jurisdiction, um, and the regulation we do have is around the amount of notice you're given. We do have some limits on the frequency of rent increases, mm. but the the amount of a rent increase is it's um, the 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 regulation on that is it, it really it's in line with what the the, the prevailing market is the general sure. market level of rents for comparable premises is yes. the is is, is 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 the benchmark and um uh look it's it is pleasing to see that there is a more of a conversation going on at the moment now about other and better ways of doing that and, and protecting tenants against um uh, rent increases that landlords have done nothing to, to earn it's, yeah. it's just um they're yeah. using their their power over the property and um the, the threat of homelessness to yeah. um to extract rent from people i'd like to unpack that a little bit um absolutely i think it's a really important point you've hit on there i guess fundamentally um if you were what would you say to state and territory governments around why it's important to have more progressive uh contemporary legislation on on rental laws that provides that fairer balance between landlords and tenants. Why should they care? Why would they? Why should they be interested in them? Well, it's it's interesting that they they're noticing them that that for themselves um, uh, more and more. Uh, like we've just had a, a state election in New South Wales here, where um, where both uh, major parties went to the went to the election promising to improve security for tenants um, and make other law reforms as well uh, and uh, I, I think they're in, they are increasingly aware that that rental housing uh, and, and the the rights of renters and uh, the the ability of renters to make a home in rental housing is um, is is an issue for the electorate and for them and for governments. So um, I think one, one particular aspect of that is that people are, people, households are, are renting longer. Yeah. Uh, that's clear. They're renting longer into their um, adult lives and they're renting, long, they're renting into uh, the period where they're having kids and trying to settle down. And um, increasingly people are, are also renting through their middle age and, um, uh, the so ideas around security and also autonomy, like being able to decide for yourself how you're going to live in your house and make it your home, um, are um, w without the micromanaging that so often passes for tenancy management. Like, can you put pictures on the walls and can you have a dog or a cat? Um, that sort of that security and autonomy in 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 your housing, and being able to make it your home is uh, increasingly important, and I think that's registering with governments. And I think it's interesting too. I know in the context of negotiations in the Senate regarding the half, the the Greens have made a big point around around rent controls uh, or rent being fixed for a period of time. And, and um, it's been reported that, that um, in that seat of Griffith in Brisbane that, that rental 
situation for renters was a, an issue that resonated politically. Um, whether that's right or wrong, it does seem to suggest that um, the issue of renting and renters' vote as well seems to be being understood a little bit more widely. Um, National Cabinet, Chris has recently said, as, you, as you'd be aware, that um, the Housing Minister's been given six months to, to look to have a conversation around um, render protections and look at what's happening across Australia and, and perhaps um, have some consistency around that. Um, just two parts to this. First of all, is there a case for harmonised legislation in Australia for renting? I know the historic, maybe there's historical um, by design or by accident, that the states and territories all have their own residential tenancy legislation. But is there a case for this to be harmonised? I mean, why should renters or people coming up to the Northern Territory rent uh, be under different kind of conditions than, say, renters in South Australia or WA might be accustomed to? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, I guess the, the first first way to answer it is to say that it, it's, it's clear that tenancy law is something that states and territories have a constitutional responsibility for, and there isn't a straightforward uh, way that, that the Commonwealth government can legislate in respect of tenancies. Um, so it's a state and territory responsibility. Um, there have, as I said before, we we we, we do have this broadly common model that um, that had a lot of input at the beginning from a Commonwealth Government Commission of Inquiry. Um, so the Commonwealth has played a role at times in, um, in shaping legislation. But really what's happened over the um, almost 50 years in which residential tenancies acts have, uh, have been in place, um, States and territories have reformed them from time to time, and this has almost always been um, uncoordinated from a, a national perspective. Um, and uh, I think the there's always been, as I say, there's always been differences in the details between states and territories, but I think increasingly uh, there are differences on important issues that are opening up, divergences are opening up. And there's also been, uh, I think that the lack of coordination has also meant that some issues haven't really had enough attention at all. And uh, rent regulations, one of them, rent, uh, in, the, in the state and territory level reviews that happen from time to time, uh, security has been an issue, uh, improving security for tenants and some and this is where they've started to diverge quite a bit. Some states have uh, uh, improved security, particularly by restricting the circumstances in, in which no grounds termination notices have been given. Uh, only one jurisdiction, that is the ACT, has actually gone as far as getting rid of no grounds altogether, although um, uh, Victoria has restricted them fairly heavily to the end of the first fixed term of a tenancy. And then after that, you can't do no grounds. Queensland, at the end of fixed terms, you can be on a series of fixed terms. But um, that, so that, that's an area of discrepancy that's opened up. On the other hand, um, rent regulation hasn't really figured in any of the, um, in any of the state and territory level reviews. And that's something that uh, really we, we should be um, you know, looking around the world for other examples of how to do it, and um, and and something where some useful 
useful work could be done coordinating a, a, across the jurisdictions. I think the National Cabinet uh, decision to uh, to develop a reform agenda, uh, a, a, like a national level reform agenda for the states and territories to implement, that's a really positive move. And, and um, as it happens, um, some colleagues and I prepared just such an agenda for Ahuri last year. So that there's a report on Ahuri's website about regulation of residential tenancies, and it sets out uh, some priority areas to be addressed, such as security, rent regulation, um, some of the data stuff around access, um, repairs and repairs and maintenance and property condition. There are some issues that really haven't been addressed there um, that that could usefully be addressed in this in this upcoming national reform agenda. Do you think that is still a tendency um, for maybe some states and territories not quite to understand the importance of doing this legislation? I mean, are they, are they being dragged to the table to do this? Uh, yeah, good point. Um, I think having, I think one of the advantages of, of it being on the National Cabinet's radar, and particularly the way the National Cabinet said that they want, to, they want this work to be done to uh, strengthen tenants' rights. And, and th they expressly said it was about strengthening tenants' rights. Um, that's a strong direction that hasn't always been uh, at, at the, the state and territory level it, it, as they've gone about their reviews. And state and, some states, more than others, have been uh, overly sensitive to... Um, to frankly fear campaigns and and um, and just public relations blitzes that are being conducted by some of the real estate institutes um, uh, it, it hasn't been a really productive way of advancing tenancy law reform and in some states we've seen governments get a bit nervous about taking what really are very sound reforms forward and uh, hopefully, in um, in in advancing a national reform agenda, there'll be a little more um, resolve. Okay, um, fantastic. It keeps them on the straight and narrow. Yep. Now that's fantastic to hear. And I, look, I think you've answered that the question I was going to ask, which is what you're looking or hoping to see out of that national cabinet referral back to the housing ministers. But if we can look at maybe that issue of rent control or rent regulation referred to, and I guess just for background of our viewers, what. Um, listeners, I guess we've all seen across Australia and it's barely a day goes by without an article in the media about a family or an individual that's had the rent go up substantially uh, at, at the end of their lease uh, and uh, to the point where they have that incapacity to pay and have to either find another property or, or face very difficult choices around um, managing their household budget and in some cases I know in the family that used to live downstairs in the unit beneath us um, having to moving to a caravan and they're now in interstate Western Australia with the kids. Um, and a pension the other day who's has had a very substantial increase to their rent and she's on the age pension. So a lot of people out there are hurting. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason around the quantum or the, the amount of the increase. They can be, they can be modest or they can be ex extravagant um, and often at the, at the high end. And there's little, um, little um, I guess, uh, mitigation against what that um, 
rent increase might be other than appealing to people's reasonableness, I guess, as landlords. But what options do we have? What options do we have, Chris, in terms of what rent regulation might look like? Sometimes people talk about freezing rents. Others might talk about a reasonable rent increase um, against some bench. But what have you seen and how? what do you think we can do um, yeah. just to, to manage this a bit better? Yeah, well, there's, there's any number of ways that, that rents are regulated um, in other cities, other countries. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, one prominent call uh, or type of reform is for a rent freeze. Um, that's not completely unrealistic. I mean, we actually did, in a um, surprising departure from the, the usual way in which uh, state and territory governments regulate residential tenancies, five states, um, in fact, did have a rent freeze um, just a few years ago at the beginning of the, the COVID emergency. Um, uh, a, a, a useful minder that states can step in and do this sort of thing uh, when they need to. Uh, they fro uh, Five states froze rents uh, for six months um, at the beginning of the COVID emergency. As it happened, um, and that was a, as a precautionary measure, um, as it happened, that six-month period that followed was one in which um, demand for, for tenancies went down because so many of the international students and other uh, uh, international workers were out of the country and, and that, that factor of demand left the market. Um, if anything, we really needed that, um, that, that rent freeze, that control on rents six months later when people started moving around again. Um, so there's, there's rent freeze and other countries have uh, Scotland currently has a, a rent freeze in place. Um, other countries, um, Ireland had a, a rent freeze that, that continued on longer than, than, than ours in the COVID emergency. That's one option. It, it does raise the question of how you, uh, what comes after the freeze. Um, there have been historical experiences of, of rents being frozen at, um, well, for example, in the Second World War, frozen at the level of, August 1939, and that state can, continued on for a long time. And that can become uh, challenging to enforce, or, or um, if not dysfunctional. So uh, what happens after a rent freeze is, is the next question. Um, alternatively, you could have rents, um, rents increasing, allowed to increase, but not more than a certain amount. Um, or by a certain percentage, and that's really the the um, a, a guideline amount that, that might be stated by a government agency, or it might be set like CPI, not more than CPI. So most of the Canadian provinces, for example, have a have a guideline rent, and uh, it gets stated at the beginning of each year, and it's a certain percentage, and rents can be increased by that much. In some circumstances, they can be increased more than that um, if improvements have been done to the property, that sort of thing. But uh, that's that's a fairly common having having a percentage guideline, uh, and that's I mean the 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 rationale for that is that a an increase in the rent uh, that might reflect CPI or or or, or, or just inflation. Um, helps maintain 
it maintains the the return that the landlord gets on their investment. Um, so general inflation isn't eating away at the the, the return they get, um, but they're not getting above that, and that's sounds reasonable. Uh, then there's other um, there's other types of rent regulation throughout the world. Uh, you could um, you can have uh, more targeted rent regulation. This is an, uh, Ireland does this, and Scotland has had this in place until it's rent freeze. Um, so you could say, in particular areas, if there's a measured uh, escalation of rents over a number of quarters, then a cap kicks in for that area for, for a certain time. Uh, the, rent pressure zones is what they're called in Ireland and Scotland. So there's any number of ways. Um, we do have one variation in Australia um, on the general way of doing it, which is rents can rise in line with the market, um, the, the general market level for comparable premises. The ACT has a, a guideline. It's not a firm cap on how much rents can be increased, uh, but it is, the way it works is, uh, the guideline is the CPI rent index plus 10% on top of that. Uh, so if CPI rents is 4%, the guideline is 4.4%. Um, if a landlord wants to increase the rent by more than that guideline, then they have to apply to the ACT's tenancy tribunal and make the case that it's not excessive to the general market level of rents. So it's not a firm cap or restriction on rent increases, but it adds a bit of scrutiny and uh, and and a procedural step for landlords that might uh, that could be a, a a very straightforward and easy thing to imp to implement for other state and territory governments too. Does people work in reverse so that if there was a, a fall in values that they're regulated as well? I mean, sometimes people who are maybe a little bit miffed by that concept and say, look, it's not my fault that, you know, there's not enough social affordable housing and that rents are tight. You know, why should I have to, you know, have my um, rental income compromised by, you know, government failures to build enough housing? Uh, and sometimes people will say, well, if you're wanting to regulate rents going up by minimum certain amounts, it should work in the opposite way as well. Have you seen any evidence of that? It's a different policy problem, I know, but um, do you have any sympathy for, I guess, for landlords that say, look, why should my why should my ability to charge rent to a tenant, the, 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 the increases be regulated when it's essentially due to market failure or there's just not enough competition and why should I have to pay price? Yeah. Um... Well, why don't we turn it around and say, you know, what are, what have you, the landlord, done? What have you, the landlord, done to deserve uh, an increased payment on the housing services you're providing? And, and that's a pretty generous way of characterising it, I must have been, providing is, housing is. services. I think it is. Um, all, too often it's, all too often landlords are just standing between a person and their housing and yeah. with their handout. And uh, they're asking for money in return for, for, for not making someone homeless. And the idea that they can, I, I'd like to see them 
justify themselves in uh, in asking for yet more of a person's income uh, when the the quality of the housing service provided isn't improving any it's still it's the same house it's the same uh if anything it's probably deteriorated a little bit between rent increases and um really rent increase a rent increase is a windfall to the landlord um and uh leaving aside the 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 question of land tax and the taxation of of those sorts of increases that uh increases in the value of the property and, and the rental income that can flow from a property that that derive from um, it being in a good location. The landlord's done nothing to earn that. They've merely uh, bought the place before someone else did. And they, they're capturing the, uh, the increase in value that flows from other people's work and other people's efforts, and it might even be the the you know the the resident makes a contribution to the rising uh, the rising value of a place because uh, they're part of the community there and it's an attractive community. And um, if if anyone deserves the um, uh, the to to enjoy the value of a community, it should be the people who live there, not the landlord who happens to own the, the title for a property that other people have made more valuable. It's very it's very similar, isn't it, to the, argue, the argument of, I guess, land base increasing due to value capture and, and you know, infrastructure put in to improve the, yeah, the value of the land um, that, that yeah. wasn't, wasn't an investment by the, by the owner. And they exactly, benefit, and that, they, that's they the basic... Benefits. Yeah. That's the basic uh, case for land tax. And I, I know yeah. Northern Territory doesn't have one, and it that's should. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's something that's very contentious up here, but warrants an absolute discussion, on, uh, and we will certainly be having that. I think, I think the other thing, too, just to add, is maybe if the landlord is, is invested in, in the capital by um, improving the, the, the asset, that might be some grounds, potentially, but that would be very rare. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's um... Well, talking about land tax, that's that's how that's the basis of land tax in other jurisdictions. It's a tax on the unin on the unimproved, so the mm. unimproved value of the land, so the the value uh, not counting the building that's on it. So that's uh, in principle that that's a that's a bit of encouragement for landlords or, or property owners to improve their property to to to. Uh, to make improvements to the property, to, to build something on it that will um, really realise as much rent as they can from that property, and the principle is that um, uh, the, uh, the 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 value that flows from the location um, from that's that's really something that the community produces it's that that bit of it isn't produced by landlord at all and it is absolutely justified for the community to tax that uh that benefit um back into community hands through a land tax chris i'd like to give you an opportunity to uh comment on this as well because i know you've written um and and been um been clear on this in the public arena, but what's what's your view around the the view that look putting rent regulation, some form of rent regulation, um, 
would uh, result in um, disincentives for landlords to remain in the property market, maybe to get out and all that sort of the sky is going to fall in type of, um, I guess, concern. What would you say to that? Uh, well, just on the on the specific question of rent regulation, um, it depends what you do. So uh, a, a rent regulation that... Uh, that regulated the, um, say, a CPI limit on rents. Uh, so landlords can increase existing rents uh, by up to the CPI amount um, each year. As I say, that, that maintains the return on their investment and that shouldn't, that needn't really affect anyone's plans uh, uh, any landlord's plans for their, their, their property may have no impact on uh, on their decision whether to hold or whether to leave the market at all. Um, on the other hand, um, if you did have, uh, on, the other, on the other hand, if you went further than that, or, or, or even accepting that landlords found that too odious a proposition, um, and they did sell, May not be a bad thing. I mean, they're they're going to sell to either a household that uh, becomes an owner occupier. That, that could well be a former tenant becoming an owner occupier, and that, that's no bad thing. Uh, or they sell to a, an, another landlord who can cope, and it stays a rental property. So the idea of existing landlords selling, um, leaving the market, I know real estate agents, uh, real estate institutes, and landlords raise that spectre all the time, it's, it really shouldn't be that scary. Uh, the, the, the prospect of existing landlords uh, selling and leaving the market, for a start, they already do. They already sell when it suits them and, and leave them. It's that part, part of that churn that we were talking about uh, at, at the beginning. Um, but they'll sell to someone else and it's not, it's, it gives more space for uh a land, either a landlord who can cope with a, a stronger regulation or more space for owner-occupiers. So uh, both, those, both those things are, aren't frightening prospects. Um, as far as investment into the sector goes, there's a case to be made that if you have a regulation of existing rents, um, that, can be, that, that can be consistent with a pro-development or a pro-investment stance in that um, it become if you've got a regulation of rents of existing tenant rents, it's then um, it becomes that the way property owners can make more money out of their properties is to uh, is to develop them to provide more housing. So to a, a property that might be underused in terms of its housing potential, would be redeveloped into um, from a house into a small block of flats, for example, Incre and that's the way the rental income can be increased, and it's an increase in supply of housing as well. That's and that's consistent with having a regulation of uh, existing tenancy rents. Um, it, it means that the the landlords have more reason to bring on more supply, additional supply to the market, and that being the way that property owners get their 
get their return, get their reward by actually building something rather than doing the, um, the less useful thing of just increasing in existing tenants' rents. I guess in terms of the argument being spurious that you're referring to before, I guess that also applies to change uh, around energy efficient standards for homes and other building changes to national construction code. I mean, ultimately, people can say that's going you know, to pricing increases, but um, you want those properties need to be at those levels. And if and if the economics are such that um, you know, an owner decides to leave that market, you're going to have another buyer, as you point out. It's not like the asset's going to disappear into, into thin air. So it's, it is a little bit spurious, um, this, this notion of um, having a mass exodus of, of, um, of landlords or investors. Um, Chris, uh, just finally, I'd just like to wrap up this, this section on, um, on, on my renting. So just again, just to, just to recap, um, in the Northern Territory, I'll, I'll uh, put my own assessment on this so you don't have to, but um, we have had we have struggled for five years to get anything to show for residential tenancy reform, despite having a, a commitment by our current Chief Minister to a, a, a comprehensive review of, of the legislation. I know that there are some um, progressive uh, elements within government that, that, that get this stuff and understand it and want to see um, a modernised act an act that's uh, consistent with other states and territories. You know, we don't want to be in a dog box of legislation in terms of rights for tenants. And we want to make this a, a place that's appealing for people to come and live and work, and especially given a very transient population. And, and the fact that 48.6% of Territorians rent, it's a much higher proportion of renters up here. So for those who aren't convinced, just in summary, Again, what would your pitch or appeal be to them to say, look, this is why you should really try and look at that balance and reset it so that it's fair for landlords and tenants alike? Sure. I think uh, in terms of the, the territory's, yeah, unfortunate uh, position in, in reviewing its act, um, I, I'm, I am aware that that was announced some time ago and I haven't seen much come of it either, I'm afraid. Um, the, the territories legislation is probably the least reformed of all the states and territories. Um, that's not to say it's it's the worst on every measure. In fact, um, going back to an earlier part of our conversation, the territory has a tenant organisation protection provision in in its act. No one else, no one else in Australia does, but the territory does. Specifically, protect tenants who form an organisation and a tenants association from retaliation by a landlord, and that's great. Um, what isn't great are the territories uh, uh, still allows no grants notices for a start, and also has the shortest notice periods um, uh, for termination uh, termination notices of, of, of all states and territories. So it, it's unnecessarily insecure. Uh, Territory, territory renting in terms of in terms of the law. Um, that's where lots of other. That's where a, there has been movement by other states and territories recently, and in improving the the security afforded to tenants. Um, and uh, that's uh, that's the the single most important reform that that all the states and territories could be doing, and and. The territory in, in particular, because it is actually further behind on that score than than, than anywhere else. Um, territory's done some positive things around uh, keeping pets. Uh, that's one thing that outside of the review process that that it's come up with. But um, 
there are a number of other areas uh, where um, where where attentions is and and where states and territories can all be learning from each other and I think that's the that's the um, that's the theme of the national cabinet decision. So with uh, as you say with a large population of of, of renters um, and a and a place that um, does have a, 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 a an unusual position within the federation of having people come in um, from other places quite frequently, um, uh, uh, having a uh, like yourself a, 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 an, an internal migrant population, um, being a, an a, an attractive place for people throughout Australia to think that they can uh, uh, move to the territory and participate in the opportunities that the territory provides, but also to make a home there. Um, territory rental housing needs to have um, strong protections for tenants in, in, in its laws. So Chris, um, just uh, we're going to talk about some other areas of research. Looking forward to having you back on the program uh, at a later stage, if that's okay. Talk about the, yeah, work, you've done, the work you've done around uh, Clients, uh, people leaving prison, and and I guess how um, in, uh, in how much of a connection that is the whole vicious cycle, I suppose, between homelessness and um, and being in, in custody, uh, and then being released into homelessness, and the cycle continuing. And then they've done some really great research there, but that will uh, warrant some further time. So we might come back and talk to you about that and, and some other research. I understand you're doing as well. Um, yeah, happy to but just in terms of wrapping up today, uh, you talked about some of the areas, now for something a little bit different, you talked before about um, some of the research and areas of interest for you. Uh, I guess what's on your research bucket list? What might be coming up down the track uh, that will keep you busy? What can we look forward to? What's coming up? Well, uh, in a few weeks' time, uh, we'll have the report on a towards a national housing and homelessness strategy coming out from Ahuri. Um, that's... Um, that, that that's a, a an Ahuri an Ahuri report that uh, looks at the lie of the land for a national housing and homelessness strategy, um, and uh, the the federal government has a current um, on its agenda has as a plan. Uh, there's a housing accord. We're making some proposals about how these things might come together. Um, so that's something. That will come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, other projects going on at the moment. Uh, there's one on residential parks and land lease communities, um, which are a, um, a, a that's a that's a sector where we're getting more uh, investment from large corporate landlords. They're not real. We're starting to see a few more large corporates in our residential rental sector, but they're already there in the residential parks um, sector, which is uh, interesting to look at. So that's that's something I'm uh, that's on my to-do list uh, for the rest of this year. Fantastic, Christoph. It's been a pleasure having you on the program. Um, the work you're doing is, is, is really important and it certainly helps us to understand um, you know, what the research is saying, what the evidence is saying, and also looking at ideas and uh, also drawing on the experience of other states and territories as well as other countries. Uh, so thank you for the, 
really important work that you and your colleagues do at the City, no, well, uh, City Futures Research Centre down there. I'm in glad Sydney. it's useful to you, and I'm, I'm very happy to be putting it into the hands of organisations like Shelter NT and the other shelters and tenants' unions around the place um, who are doing great uh, advocacy work to um, advance housing justice for renters. Thank you. You've been uh, watching or listening to Dr. Chris Martin, a senior research fellow in the City Futures Research Centre at the University of New South Wales down in Sydney. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to uh, having you on our program next time. Thanks very much, Chris, again, and uh, bye for now. You've been listening to Episode 9, Season 2 of Sharing the Couch by NT Shelter. Opinions expressed by guests on Sharing the Couch are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of NT Shelter or host Peter McMillan. Thanks for listening and don't forget to hit subscribe.